We're going to continue this in this uh, series this morning. I wanted to start talking a little bit about um, something we, that came up last week. Not a whole big assertion here, but just a minute. This uh, idea of the Sanhedrin. We talked last week about Sanhedrin. We're in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, right? So we are almost at the end. Of the, there's 16 chapters in the whole book, right? So we've taken this journey all the way through the Gospel of Mark, and here we are in the 15th chapter, but we had this uh, conversation about the Sanhedrin, who are the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem who decide what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is holy and unholy. They're the keepers of the keys to the kingdom of God, or so they think, anyway. And I, I want to men- mention this because last week I said there were two people who were in the Sanhedrin that we know for a fact were disciples of Jesus in some way. I told you one was Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus in, God, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, at nighttime under the cover of darkness because he's afraid, and he asks that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And Jesus gives an answer, whoever would believe will be saved, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only son that whosoever should believe would be saved, whoever would believe. That's Nick at, Nick at Night. I always call him Nick at Night. I know it's like an old reference now, but, you know, it works for me. Helps me remember, Nicodemus came at night. He was part of the Sanhedrin ruling council. Another dude, last week I remember his name, and I wanted to tell you, so I wrote it down, <laughs> Joseph of, of Arimathea. <laughs> He's the second dude who was in the Sanhedrin last week whenever they condemned Jesus as rightfully condemned to death. And Nicodemus is part of this, and, um, and, uh, Joseph of Arimathea is part of this. And he's a rich guy who um, is purported to be a holy man as well, but has been secretly following ways of Jesus. And I want to tell you two things about Joseph. First, when Jesus begins to be challenged by the Sanhedrin, Joseph goes to the Sanhedrin and tries to cash in some of his stock with him by saying, please don't condemn him until you listen to him. Which means he's kind of buying into what Jesus is selling. He's kind of on board with this Jesus thing. And so he's asking them to be reasonable. And then the second thing, and what he's probably most famously known, by the way, that's in John 7, most famously known for is he goes and asks, and this is going to happen in the Gospel of Mark, Luke, Matthew um, as well. It's recorded there that he goes and asks Pilate to take down the body of Jesus. He's the guy. As a matter of fact, we're going to hear the story, but he's the guy that takes Jesus and puts him in a, a man-made cave on his own property after he's dead. Joseph. I only mention that because I found it fascinating that Nicodemus, who went and asked that question, got that awesome answer, that anyone that would believe that God sent a son to die will be saved. And this guy who went and was uh, asking for reasonableness and then actually um, took Jesus' own body down were part of the Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus. People who were saying, I kind of believe, but he should die. Just mind-boggling, really. So I want to kind of catch up with that. All right, we're going to pick up in uh, Mark 15 before, I'm going to push it real quick. So if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible, open it up, chapter 
page 712. If you use one of the Bibles on the end of the chair rows this morning, you're going to see when you open up the 712, like there's only a page and a half left of the Gospel of Mark. So that's how close we are to wrapping this uh, series up. But um, I want to do what we always do. I want to pray because, man, this whole series, I mean, and the whole testimony of Jesus Christ builds to this moment that's coming now between the religious council and the civil authorities. We'll talk about that today. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come into this place and, and um, worship you. We thank you uh, for the, the fact that you saved us, that you save us, and that you will save us, that Jesus' blood is enough to cover all of our sins, that your grace abounds more than our fears, doubts, uncertainties, and our sin, and that you are writing us into your book, that you are claiming us as your own. We pray, Father God, that you would inspire your holy word today, that we could see it and hear it, maybe for the first time. We could understand it and be transformed by it. That we, we could be reshaped by the gospel message. We thank you so much for your care in preserving your word for us and your care in delivering it to us now. And we pray that as we reflect upon it, that um, we would have clarity of thought and clarity of um, belief in the things that we choose to hold on to. May you be glorified. We love you so much because you're worthy to be worshipped. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so check it out. Mark 15.1. Mark 15.1. Just to go one time, this is like day four slash five now of, of this Passover celebration. So we have, he's come in, you know, remember, and all that stuff. This has been happening very quickly now, even though it's been over several weeks as we've been studying it. Because the first thing that the Word says is, very early in the morning. That means that last night was actually the Garden of Gethsemane. That was last night in Jesus' life. And so, very early that next morning, by the way, the, the, the rooster crowed. Remember last week for Peter's denial, the rooster was crowing. It's the morning. Very early in the morning, the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, there they are, and that includes Nicodemus and Joseph, reached a decision. They bound Jesus, and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So the first thing I want to talk, just kind of lay down for you guys this morning is, I don't, know, I don't know if we know what it means to live in a culture where your faith is suppressed and you can't live how you think you're called to live, right? You believe God's called you to live. But the truth is that the Jewish people, as much as they blustered about how, you know, how in charge God was, they were under authority. And so basically what they've done is they made a religious determination that Jesus should die. But, but they have no power to carry this death out themselves. They, they can't because they will be punished for killing. So they take Jesus, bind his hands, and they deliver him to the civil authorities. I cannot even think in my imagination of a, of a, of a modern equivalent to what this must be like. And that's probably my limited experience. I'm sure it happens still. But it's religious people deciding that someone should die and then taking that person to the state to hope the state will kill them for religious reasons. And that's what it is. So he's had a trial before the Sanhedrin where he's been falsely accused and they said, yes, now he can die. And then now they kind of wrap Jesus up in a package and they hand him over to the civil authorities and say, kill Jesus. Um, Passover is still underway for the record. Passover celebration is still happening. Remember, they were hoping to wait till after Passover for this to unfold. So here we go, 15.1. 
They bind him and lead him away and take him to Pilate. Some questions, and then we're going to talk about some of the characters involved here. Verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. Pilate would be the one who's ruling over that area, right? He's a, he's a Roman ruler over that area in Jerusalem, and it's his, it's his territory. And the first thing he says to Jesus is, are you king of the Jews? Jesus replies by saying, you have said so. I want to take just a minute. You, I have an old NIV, and mine says, yes, it is as you say. And that tripped me up because I had studied this, and I had not seen it say yes. No, he, Jesus said, you've said, I'm king of the Jews. We're going to talk about that. Look at verse 3. The chief priest accused him of many things, and so again Pilate asked him, aren't you even going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus has made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. <laughs> he was amazed. Let's talk about why. So Jesus gets delivered over to Pilate, this civil authority. From Pilate's perspective, he has the, the right to life or death. Pilate does, right? And, and I, I, I've read this and I've thought about this, this and we're going to talk more about this King of the Jews label that gets applied to Jesus. But do you think whenever they brought Jesus to Pilate, they said, here, Pilate, is Jesus, King of the Jews? Like, do you think that's what they said? Let's look at, and see. Do you remember what the accusations were against him? Here it is. It's actually in 14. I'm just going to remind you of what the accusations are. When he's not answering their questions, Jesus remained silent. And the priest said, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Remember that from last week? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yes, I am the Son of the Blessed One. And this is what they say. They tore their clothes and said, why we need more witnesses? You've heard blasphemy. That's the accusation they made against Jesus. He's a liar and a blasphemer. He claims equivalency to God. He says he's Messiah, the one that's promised, the one with power and authority. So do you think if that's the accusation they made, that they brought and said, here is our king? Okay. Pilate. He's chilling on his throne or whatever he does. These Jews come up. It's Passover. Everyone's all excited. And they present this man. Pilate asks the question. Look at who speaks first. Pilate, are you king of the Jews? Now, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I can just see, I can just imagine this kind of crazy parade of the whole Sanhedrin bringing Jesus in, in in cuffs, probably rope, right, or bound in chains to drag him before the civil authorities. And, and this ruler says, who are you, king of the Jews? The procession into the courts and Jesus response I don't find it in the text where it says yes his response is that's what you've said king of the Jews this has become a big big thing because this title that Pilate applies to Jesus sticks whatever the accusations were that the Sanhedrin wanted to make this title sticks king of the Jews Jesus says it's as you say it, it, after this conversation this two question answer you know one question one answer two sentence conversation then the chief priests 
they start to go. So the king has said something, maybe being silly, phony, whatever, and then Jesus has responded, well, that's what you said, and then they've just had enough, and they start to say, he's done this, he's done that, and, he, and they're just all these accusations against Jesus. Well, you'll remember, by the way, that every accusation they made amongst themselves was lies. They were lies. And so here they're making accusations against Jesus. All right? So that's Jesus. By the way, he doesn't answer. Remember we talked last time. False accusations, he doesn't address. Are you the Christ? He addresses that. All the lies, he's not going to do it. And here he is again now, before the man who believes I have the power of life and death, and he won't say a word. He won't make a case. He won't defend himself. And as a king, uh, as a ruler, Pilate is in awe. Let me ask you a question. How many times do you think Pilate saw men grovel how many times do you think people shook in his presence? How many times do you think they said, oh, that's not true, that's not true, that's not who I am. You've you got to believe me, you've got to believe me, Pilate. You're the only one I can, you, you, my only hope, my only hope. And then he would step back in his chair and decide. Life and death. And he's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is not saying anything. Scriptures say this. Pilate was in wonder. Don't miss it. He was awestruck. Who is this Jesus? Like he's shocked. He's not seen this type of response before. Pilate is amazed. That's the first. By the way, a king before a king. Right? I mean, just think about it. For a minute. The other Gospels record more conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Interesting to read it. We're not going to go there. We're just going to stay in Mark, but Pilate's amazed. Look at verse 6. It was the custom at the feast, there it is again, this festival, to release a prisoner from whom the people, or whom the people requested. 7. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists and he had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do for them what he normally would do. Okay? So scene one has closed, if you will. Jesus before Pilate has closed. And now there's this moment in the festival, this high holy day, where the civil authority has done this thing where they've released one person. One person that the crowds can choose. Who should we release? And then we, tell, they, then we hear the story of this one person named Barabbas who makes the Bible. Barabbas, by the way, if you um, are listening, if you can hear that stuff, I can't always hear it, is Bar-Abba, right? Which is Jewish means son of someone, right? So Bar is son of, and last name is the person that you're the son of. In this case, it's Bar-Abba. You might remember Jesus said Abba to the father, so it's son of a father. So it's a son of a father or son of a man named Barabbas. And, and some things that we just heard about Barabbas that's important to keep in mind as we continue to walk through this story is he's not necessarily a good guy. Look in verse 7. Barabbas 
was in prison with the insurrectionists. He was actively trying to overthrow the civil government. He was standing against them. He, he was a bad dude, first of all. Secondly, he was a murderer. And, and you know, sometimes you hear robber. He was a robber. He was a thief. He was a criminal. Um, the NIV actually kind of reads here like uh, there was an insurrection and some people were killed. But if you look at it, it says that he slaughtered people. It's not even like I'm, I murdered a person. He slaughtered people in the insurrection trying to wrestle authority from the state. Barabbas, the son of a father. The third thing that we, we hear about him is that Barabbas is, um, is bound. You see, there was one in custody named Barabbas. And like Jesus, Barabbas was bound. Second, second scene here, if you will. The crowd came up then and they, and they asked Pilate to do for them what Pilate had normally done. Will you do it again? Do that trick you do every Passover. Release one to us. Let us pick one. Look at I'm going to come back to this a little bit because there's some things happening here I want to get to. But in verse 9, Pilate speaks and he says, Do you want me to release to you king of the, the king of the Jews? There it is again. So it's interesting that they come and say, Do that thing you do. And Pilate says, Hey, how about this one? I got just a candidate for you, the king of the Jews. And look at what verse 10 says. Knowing it was out of envy, Pilate knew it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him to be crucified. But the chief priests went through the crowd and stirred them up to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So you get the scene, right? You've heard this before. This isn't a new story. But just think about what's happening. A religious council has condemned the innocent man to die. They've lied to get him condemned. They've delivered him into the hands. And then when the time comes and the, the civil authorities are saying, hey, we're, let's let this guy go, they go through the crowd and say, no, no, pick Barabbas. Pick the insurrectionist. Pick the murderer. Have him released. Not this Jesus of Nazareth. They actively lobby, they actively lobby for Jesus, for um, Barabbas to be released. I, I want to uh, talk for a minute about Pilate. I said he kind of sits on his throne thinking about these, you know, who, who he is. A couple things. Um, he does this during the festival, the Passover, the highest, holiest days of the Jews. He chooses to do this ritual of his own. He integrates himself in the ritual of the Jewish people, the feast. Um, he's traditionally released someone. Right? And we'll come back to this later and find out why. He releases someone that he has rightfully caught. You don't, don't miss that. He releases someone he has the right to demand the life of. That's the modus operandi. He can say, you're guilty, but I, Pilate, will set you free. Right? And then um, he lets the crowd choose who it would be. So there's some buy-in from the people that he rules over. Oh, you might remember some of the scandal created by Matthew, who was a tax collector for the Roman Empire, and how much he was hated by his peers because he conspired against his own people, right? This, this is the guy. Um, th this is the state of the crowd. They're ruled over, but Pilate and his grace is going to release one that they think you guys choose. 
we should be released. So, so he suggests, and, and, the, and the Jews love this tradition. They please keep it, please keep it. And so when this comes up, he's like, aha, you can almost see him being clever. Like, aha, here's the opportunity. Jesus, take this king of the Jews off my hand. Um, by the way, he never calls him Jesus, does he? He never calls him Jesus. And he knew that the chief priests were corrupted. They were spoiled. They were destroyed internally. And that, and that they were trying to get Jesus dealt with at his hand. All right. So Pilate asks some questions then. He says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? New, because they were being envious. And then when the crowd starts to chant, give us Barabbas instead, he asks a couple questions. He says, well, what shall I do then with the one that you call king of the Jews? Isn't that funny? Again, I have to ask, do you think that they called him king of the Jews? Do you think they did? What should I do, Pilate says, with this one that you call king of the Jews? Pilate's an interesting character because there's some narratives that love to hate Pilate, right? Overstepping his authority, not knowing he's under God's authority, all this, you know. I think even in the Gospel of John, he says something like, do you not know I have the very power over life and death? And Jesus says something like, you would have no power over my father not to have given it to you. Yep. Pilate in, the, in, this, in the spot, but look at him, he's asking, he's like, he's like, well, what should I do with them? Do you think you're really wondering? They yell, crucify him. Look at what the word says, crucify him. That's what we want you to do with this king of the Jews. Give us the murder, crucify the king. Look, he asks another question in 14, why? What crime has he committed? Like, at this point in the process, Pilate doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong. He hasn't believed any of the testimony against Jesus, even though he's bound and delivered over. I don't even think he believes Jesus is king of the Jews. I don't think that the crowd believes he's king of the Jews either. Because why, church, would you crucify your king? He asked the question, why? What crime has he committed? And they shouted all louder, crucify him, crucify him. And look at 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas, the insurrectionist murderer, to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. This is the second scene. Some things that I, I want to point out and about um, Pilate. He asks these questions. He asks what evil Jesus committed. What, what did Jesus do? Um, and he doesn't believe that he's guilty. This is the way I sum this up. And I want, you know, I don't know how important it is, the mechanics of Jesus' death, but I, I find it interesting. This is how I, I, I see this happening. The oppressor, Pilate, right, asks, um, releases Barabbas, the guilty, uh, to satisfy the crowd who he's oppressing so that he might re remain in power. It seems there's something about Pilate that he really is like, this is the High Holy Festival, this is the way the game's always been played, and if I do this, I'll get to stay on the throne another year. They will come back next year begging me again, please release one, just release one, and I can stay in power. Okay, wait. I just think it's helpful to think deeply about Scripture. Pilate, we get it. Jesus, we get it. How about Barabbas? Here's Barabbas, a man caught 
red-handed, literally, blood on his hands, bound and guilty, standing before the one who can release him or condemn him. And he, I can't imagine he's not thinking, what in the world's happening? What is going on? And this crowd suddenly says, we want the murderer and kill this other guy. By the way, Barabbas isn't the only criminal there. There are many condemned, you know, because many get crucified. But Barabbas is chosen. I told somebody before, um, I've had some great experiences in my faith life, going to other people who thought deeply and, and experiencing some things. And I remember one time I was kind of, um, I was like at a, a, a play, a reenactment of the death of Jesus, and, and something was done I hadn't thought of before. Um, when they cut Barabbas loose, it was said something like this. He was the first sinner set free. You're probably thinking like I am. He's going to murder somebody else. <laughs> Don't let that guy go. Kill him. Guilty. But in Barabbas' experience, we don't know what happens to Barabbas. This one who is rightfully guilty is cut free and said, go. While Jesus is condemned. Before he's hung on the cross. All to keep um, an oppressor in power and to keep religious people satisfied. All right, here we go. We're going to close up now. 12. Or uh, 16, I'm sorry. So 15. When he satisfied the crowd, he releases Barabbas and he hands Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. Check the scene. This is very reminiscent of what happened after being condemned in the Sanhedrin, by the way, when Jesus was beaten by religious people. This is now civil authorities. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the Praetorium. Praetorium. The Praetorium is like an internal area of the, con of the condemned, or the hall of judgment, okay? It's this place where people go when they're condemned. And all together with the whole company of soldiers, um, they called them together, 17, they dressed Jesus in a purple robe and they put together a crown of thorns. They twisted it together and they set it upon his head. This is the soldiers now, the civil authorities after the judgment that Jesus will be crucified by Pilate. Remember, right? Flog him and crucify him. They take him into a separate area. They bring together all the soldiers and they begin to do these things. And you, like me, maybe have heard these things having happened and thought, oh, who is doing that? And I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's interesting that the civil authorities are the ones that did these things that we remember so much about Jesus. Dressed him in purple, twisted the crown of thorns together, placed it upon his head, and they began to cry, cry out to him, hail, hail, king of the Jews. There it is again. All hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they began to strike him. The word means to thump him on the head with reeds. And they began to spit on Jesus. And then they fell on their knees. And they paid homage to him. They worshipped him. They were, they were bent their knee to him, this King of the Jews. Look at 20. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off. They put his own claws back, clothes back on and they led him out to be crucified. I just was amazed by that scene. That Jesus, who said nothing in front of his accusers, who stands wrongfully condemned, is then taken this place of soldiers. Now, I don't know how far down this road I want to go, but you know, 
getting beat up by religious people, that would be an insult to injury because they're supposedly being people of God. But soldiers, brutal. Soldiers can be brutal. And as they take this word from their ruler, remember Pilate, who are you, king of the Jews? They take that little nugget that he applied to Jesus and they invite him into this space where he stands condemned and they dress him in purple, which is the color of power and authority. They go, oh, here, put this on. Look how much power and authority you have. And then they make him a crown, right, this so-called king, and they twist it. I don't know if you've ever seen a crown of thorns, but it's a nightmare. They're a nightmare to make, let alone put on someone's head. And then the word says, and I've missed this before, but after putting them on, they said, all hail. And the word says they, they, they um, uh, embraced him. It's, it means to draw your swords, like, but not to kill someone, to honor them, right? Like, all hail the king. And they began to strike him on top of his head with the crown of thorns on his head, mocking him as they worshipped him. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's not just that they're being mean to him, but they're, they're making fun of him and they're mocking everything that he stands for at the same time. And just like the religious rulers, these civil authorities began to spit on Jesus. He's now been twice beaten. He's now been mocked and spit on twice. And then look what they do. They take it all off. I don't know, you know. It doesn't say they took the crown of thorns off, does it? I, you know, maybe I don't need to know, but I would lie because you, you think, do the people know what's happening? Do the people who would even handle or be condemned know what's happening in this inner court, in the palace? Or do they just see, listen, Jesus come out and he's just weaker than ever? This so-called strong man, weaker than ever. Look at 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they encouraged him. They forced him to carry the cross of Jesus. Like, do you remember Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me? Like, this is a command he gives, right? And here in this moment, Jesus can't carry his cross. And so Simon, another character that we get to hear from here, comes out. Look at some facts real quick. He's coming in from the country. He probably has nothing to do with this. He may have nothing to do with the festival. I don't know. What does it say? And they, they compelled him. I'm, I'm trying to remember um, the, uh, the word. Uh, yeah, compelled is it, yeah. They compelled him strongly. It says they forced him in the NIV translation to carry the cross. Look at what else it says. He's a father of two, Alexander and Rufus, right? So, I mean, he had something he was worried about. There, why would mention that there? There's no other mention of Alexander and Rufus in the Bible. Here's a man they could lean on who has two kids he's worried about. You take the cross of Jesus and you go to Golgotha. And Jesus comes out having been mocked and beaten spit on, and then undressed, redressed in his own clothes, and pushed out into the streets to head to the place which is called the skull. 22. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And when they had offered him wine mixed with myrrh, he did not take it, and they crucified him. They divided up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. 
So this is now Jesus. And isn't it interesting how quickly it just goes, they crucified him. Do you know why? Because being crucified isn't the end of crucifixion. Like when you're crucified, it's not like, it's not like a fighting spot. It's not over. You're, you're hung there. And then after doing these things, after leading him out to, the, to, the, um, to Golgotha and putting him on the cross, they then strip off his clothes and they begin to cast lots to see who gets what. Jesus' stuff. Which couldn't have been much. I mean, after all the beatings, what could be left? You even wonder, don't you? Like, who would want it? Who would want those rags? Who would want those clothes? But the soldiers did. One more game to play with Jesus as he's on the cross. Um, yeah. Oh, I want to share this with you. I actually, um, maybe turn there. It's in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, starting in verse 1. Oh, the page. oh, yeah, it's 381 in the Bibles on the chairs. It's a psalm written by King David. The words might sound familiar. Listen to them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I am not silent. Yet you were enthroned as the Holy One, and you are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put all their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. They cried out to you, and, and they were saved. In you, they trusted, and they were not disappointed. But I am a worm. I'm not a man. I am scorned by men and despised by the people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. Everyone hurls insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. and You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, because trouble is near, and there's no one to help. We're in verse 12 now. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions, tearing their prey, opening their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and my, my bones are all out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. And they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count each of my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and they cast lots on my clothes. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. Oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions and save me from the horns of the wild dogs. Words that are used in the crucifixion of Jesus and actions that people take. He is indeed the Messiah. Son of the Blessed One. 
One last thing. 25. It was the third hour when they crucified Jesus. And the written notice of the ask, the charge against him read like this. King of the Jews. The last thing to hang over his head. By the way, another gospel says he write it in every language so everyone knows. The King of the Jews. Hung over his cross. Pilate, whatever you think of him, asks really good questions. And uh, one, of them he said, one of them he asks right away is, what should I do with this King of the Jews? What should I do with him in my life? See, here's the thing. In, in, in the cross, um, we, we should see two things. One is the rightful position that we take as sinners who sinned against God and other people. All the things that you've heard me say from Scripture about Jesus being mocked and spit upon and artificially worshipped, those are all things that are, you know, we, we are due. We are Barabbas. We are guilty. And so in the cross, we should see our guilt. We should see our shame. We should see our sin, our brokenness, and our right punishment. We should see our suffering and hanging mocked and scorned until we breathe our last. That's one thing. But the other thing we just see on the cross is what God did for us. Listen, that instead of us hanging there, instead of Barabbas hanging there, he put Jesus on the cross that we might be free. Which one would you choose? Which one would you have? And God says, I choose Jesus and I set you free. That's the gospel. Do you hear the cry of the psalmist? Be not far from me, Lord. As Jesus enters the season of uncertainty, his moment. This is the truth of the gospel. I want to pray. But as we do, I want you to be thinking deeply about our sin. I've been doing that myself, you know? Deeply about my sin. I don't know if you like that, man. I found myself in my prayer life crying out my sin always before me. It's always before me. I'm so sick of sin. I'm so tired of sin. The lament, the cry. And then I realized this. God's grace is more than all my sin. God's grace is more than all the sin of the world. And the truth is, God's grace is more than all the sin in your life. And this is the message of the cross. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth that where sin abounds, your grace abounds more. The truth that you choose Jesus to stand in our place. And the truth that you invite us to believe that. Well, Father, we get that right in our hearts. We would rightly understand both at the same time that we are rightfully condemned and yet immediately set free that you have released us from our sin from our suffering into a life of joy and relationship with you. I pray, Father God, for those of us who are here who are struggling with that truth and we say, ah, can I believe it? Can I believe that with all, my, with all this stuff? Can I trust you with everything? I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father God, today would move in those hearts and minds that they would set us free in those places. 
would know, like, know at a deep level the beauty of the sacrifice that you made, the stupidity of the civil authorities to do it, but the beauty of your sovereign judgment, your sovereign presence in that moment. We would become like the psalmist, you know, just cleansed, celebrating your good news. Father, for truth and magnitude, I pray we just bask in the glory of you. I pray it would compel us to worship you. You're rightfully worshiped. Turn our hearts back towards you. You're rightfully honored. <laughs> I feel all that mocking, spitting, ridiculing. Father, that we've done those things. We've stood in those same places. We ask your forgiveness again and we live into the promises that you've forgiven us. Renew our hearts. Make our minds new. Help us to see the glory of who you are. Over all the religious lies, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you be honored. We love you so much. We trust you and we pray to you in Jesus' name.